Hello and welcome. You've tuned into Active Listening with T4 Tactics. I'm Marco Galbraith, your host, and our podcast is all about personal success and networking. We'll discuss small business tips, health and wellness issues, personal safety tips, financial gain, and a variety of other topics from professionals in the field. And once in a while, we'll throw in our area of expertise, firearm safety and active shooter response for businesses, churches, and schools. So sit back, relax, listen, and learn. Active listening with T4 Tactics. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Active Listening with T4 Tactics. I'm your host, Marco Galbraith, and today we got a really, really cool guest uh, in the office uh, for the podcast, Phil Heisel. He's the uh, Warning Coordination Meteorologist with the National Weather Service out of Blacksburg, Virginia. Welcome. Well, it's great to be here. Thank yeah, you for having yeah. me. Yeah, uh, thank you for coming over. Everybody out there is affected by weather. No matter where you're at, where you live, what you do, uh, what your plans are for the day, you're going to be affected by weather. Sometimes severe weather, uh, sometimes beautiful weather, which we've kind of had lately. Yeah, it, it wasn't too hot today. It's it's uh, last couple weeks. Right. Wow. Yeah, it hasn't been too bad other than, you know, we have these pop-up thunderstorms that uh, tend to produce these uh, localized damaging winds. We'll get a tree down here or there, but I think that you said it well, Marco. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what type of weather, it impacts everybody, and I think that's why it's important yeah. to check the forecast every day. Absolutely. So, how long have you been with the uh, National What's your background? So, my background is uh, in 1974, I saw uh, one tornado during the April 3rd, 1974 tornado outbreak as a very young child, and that really wow. uh, got me interested in meeting meteorology. And after graduating from UNC Asheville with a degree in meteorology, I uh, entered the National Weather Service uh, in 1989, um, worked in uh, Missouri at a weather service office there, transferred to uh, Wichita, Kansas, spent eight and a half years there, have worked in uh, Wilmington, Ohio as a meteorologist, and uh, Jackson, Kentucky as a warning coordination meteorologist before coming to Blacksburg in 2005. Wow. So Kansas is tornado. We're not in Kansas anymore. No. <laughs> no. I mean, there was a movie, uh, Wizard of Oz was made of, so you saw a lot of tornado, tornadoes. What, where were you in 74? So in 74, I was in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, okay. where, I was, where I was born. And, of course, mm -hmm. the uh, 74, April 3rd, 4th, 74 outbreak is one of the largest outbreaks of tornadoes in our country's history. Really? And uh, I'll never forget uh, my mom saying, you know, I think we need to find a uh, more substantial shelter. So my neighbor and I and, and uh, our uh, families got together and we drove toward the tornado. And even at a young age, I knew that was not the right thing to do. We should wow. have stayed in our home and, and yeah. sheltered there. Driving towards a tornado to find shelter? To find, a, yes, a sturdier yeah. shelter. And uh, even at a very young age, I knew that uh, that was not the, the right idea. And thankfully, we were able to turn around and get back to our homes. And wow. thankfully, our homes were not damaged. Yeah, I think, you know, and I'm from, I'm born and raised in Florida, spent 42 years there. And it's amazing how many people don't fear, you know, a tornado uh, or how many don't fear a hurricane. There, there were, you know, there, I remember older, when I was growing up, older people were saying, ah, it's okay, it's okay. And, I, and I've been through probably eight, eight or nine of them, bad ones in Florida, and I respect them. You know, when they say get out, if you're in a flood zone, get out, you better get out. It, it's not, you can't, once it starts, you can't say, oh, okay, turn back on the light switch. You can't turn it off. It's, you know, you're in it. 
So yeah. the warnings are very important. Great point. And I think unless you've experienced a hurricane or a tornado or significant weather, you don't understand and can truly appreciate the impact. So uh-huh. I think it's human nature to say, oh, you know, I've heard these warnings before and, and nothing happened, so I don't need to take any pr- protective measures. Right. Uh, but it just takes that one time, and uh, it, it's, it's a life-threatening situation. And that's why it's important to heed those warnings and get inside and get away from windows. Absolutely. So um, from your experience, it sounds like you know a little bit about what we're talking about today. It says a lot of experience. Impressive. I saw you on uh, the local news here when we had the hurricane, the tornado in in uh, Amherst. I think it was Amherst. Yeah, about yeah, a year been, ago, roughly. Right. Up yes. in that area. Mm-hmm. So, do you come out and say yes, it was a tornado? That's your job. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the many things that I do. Anytime we have suspicious storm damage uh, that may be tornadic, uh, we will go out, and I'm usually one of the the team of folks that will go out and survey the damage determine whether that damage is uh, tornadic or straight line winds based on the pattern of the damage. Uh, so that's one of the aspects of my job. And it's interesting you should say that because uh, just recently we uh, confirmed a, a tornado um, west of Blacksburg in, in Pulaski County uh, from storms that uh, recently moved through. So, yep, that's one of the one of the many great things that, that I do for the weather service. Yeah. So when you go out after after wind damage has been done, what are you looking for? Yeah, some of the key things that we look at is is the damage along a narrow path, uh, or does it become broader with distance? That's a telltale sign that it's tornadic if it's narrow, or it's a microburst straight line winds if it's uh, if it widens with distance. Another thing we like to look for is the pattern of the tree damage. Um, is it convergent, pointing toward one another, uh-huh. or is it divergent? Uh, it's another clue to tell us, okay, straight line winds, you'll have a more divergent flow. Um, tornadic winds, where you have the circulation, you'll have the convergent winds and the trees coming together. One thing I think that's important to note is I think sometimes we get a little too hung up in whether or not it was straight line winds or tornadic because the only difference between the two is that the tornadic winds are rotating and the straight line winds are not. But those straight line winds can be just as strong as tornadoes and can damage and destroy structures. So that's why I think it's really important that when we at the Weather Service issue severe thunderstorm warnings, you know, you take those seriously mm-hmm. just as you would tornado warnings because the, the damage can be just as severe. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen in, in Florida, I've seen huge trees that are actually twisted and then they break. And I, we had one in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. I, remember, I was a police officer and we had to go down there and help that uh, agency. But uh, they had a whole neighborhood, concrete block houses that are gone now. And, you know, that really, that's where you learn to respect. If they say get out or seek shelter or have a safe room in your house or up here, we have basements, Florida, we don't have basements, but we started building safe rooms. They're putting, con- you know, like the, the master bedroom closet is is concrete block walls filled with concrete, you know, reinforced. But, uh, but when I saw that as a, as a young police officer, concrete block houses now that are gone, the foundation is, is clean, it's amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's when you go survey the damage and talk to the people, um, they, they always say, yeah, I never expected anything mm-hmm. like this. I, I can't believe this happened. And it, it's again, it's hard to fathom and understand mm-hmm. um, the, the strength of straight line winds and, and tornadoes. And that's why it's so important, especially when those severe thunderstorm and tornado warnings are issued. As you said, Marco, get to that most interior room, put as many walls between you and the outside as possible and get to the lowest floor and you'll be fine if, if you take those steps. Yeah. What's the, what's it? 
explain what a derecho is. We had we had one of those a few years ago, and I'm I'm home with the dog, and he's very 113 pound Doberman, and he's you know on my lap. But I look at I I see it coming, I feel it coming, I hear it coming, and our our sliding glass door buckled, and I'm thinking it's time to get in the basement because that door is the the glass is bending, and uh, oh that was it was quick. But it was so. Explain what what is that? Is sure. that the, is that a tornado occurring or no? And I'm glad you asked it because we get a lot of questions about derechos after the 2012 event. I know I lost uh, two or three trees on my property while yeah. I was in Christiansburg. Uh, so the technical definition of a derecho is a line of thunderstorms that produces wind gusts that are measured 58 miles per hour or greater over an area 240 miles or longer. So basically, it's a long-lived squall wow. line, and really, it's 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 a line of thunderstorms that. That's unusually strong, and, and weather really occurs in a spectrum. Yeah. We think about tornadoes. We have the enhanced Fujita scale that goes from zero, the weakest tornadoes, to five, the ones that you talked about that wipe out foundations yeah. and, and cause complete devastation. And it's the same thing with winds. You can have um, an isolated wind gust that will knock one or two trees down, or you can have these derechos where you have widespread wind damage, hurricane force winds over hundreds of miles. Wow, that that's a uh... I never knew a derecho was that big. You know, you think, okay, we had one in Bedford, probably covered three counties. No, you're talking 200-something miles. Wow. Yeah, that, that one particular one in 2012, I'll never forget, I was working the midnight shift, and you saw it starting to form early in the morning over uh, northern Illinois, and it made it all the way off the coast of North Carolina um, wow. after midnight that same same day. Wow. That's why a lot of insurance agents have gray hair now, or no hair. That's Now it makes all sense while they all look like uh, devastated after, after a storm. Um, something really cool you told me about probably a year ago is the weather balloon. I never knew. Let's talk about that. That's really cool. I'm glad you brought that up, Mark, because yeah. a lot of people are not aware that we still collect weather information through launching weather balloons. Yeah. So twice a day, we fill a balloon up with helium, we tie a parachute and a string to it, and then we put at the bottom of that what's called a radioson. And then when we launch that, that radioson radios back temperature, humidity, uh, wind speed, and pressure data. And those balloons go over 10 miles high in the atmosphere wow. before they burst and then the parachute opens and they float back down to the ground. Now why we uh, still launch those balloons is because the data that's collected is so critical uh, into the computer models we run to help predict what's going to happen in the future because if we don't capture accurately what's happening now then the long-range forecasts uh, are, are not going to be accurate uh, at all and that's why it's really critical that we uh, we obtain this information. Now if we have an approaching tropical system like a hurricane uh -huh. and we want to make sure we get that track accurate they uh, the National Weather Service headquarters will say we need you to launch these four times a day so we can really get a good idea wow. of how the atmosphere is changing over a short period of time but routinely we'll do them uh, twice a day uh, roughly 6 or 7 a.m. and 6 and 7 p.m. Wow um Rain or shine? Rain or shine. Now, when, we regardless of yes, when. Yes, we won't launch them in thunderstorms for, for safety, yeah. but you get in some of the, the high plains locations where the winds routinely gust 40, 50, 60 miles an hour, and it's a challenge to get that balloon up. Wow. Um, and we have train regulators where the instrument's right with the balloon. As soon as you let the balloon go, it slowly has the instrument falling below the balloon to, to get to the level it needs to, needs to get without having the string wrap around poles and trees and things like Ab that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and when it parachutes, it, does it come back down in Blacksburg or can it be, you know, because when it's going up, if the wind takes it hundreds of miles away, maybe, or how? 
It really depends on the upper level uh, flow. Many times in the summer when the upper level flow is weak, we've uh, had reports of our radiosons falling down in a store parking lot literally like three miles from Blacksburg. Yeah. But during the fall and winter and spring when the upper level winds are strong, um, we've known that they've gone offshore uh, into the Atlantic yeah. Ocean. We think most of them uh, fall generally like in the, in the Lynchburg um, and in areas south. So um, it's not uh, uh, out of the realm of possibility that you may find a radioson and a, a yeah. A balloon in your backyard, one right? Day. Right, and then it says call National Weather Service if they, if they find you have to physically reach. Does it send it remotely the information? Or do you have to physically get that? It's all done remotely now. Okay. And if you find one, the instruments now are so small yeah. that if you find one, um, we ask that you you can do whatever you want with it. You can keep oh. it, uh, put it on your coffee table as a conversation. Piece. That's cool. Uh, it is to we, know it was ten miles in the atmosphere right. and you have it. Yeah, yeah, with a meteor attached to it or something. <laughs> Um, hurricanes, the models they show, do they really throw spaghetti at this TV screen <laughs> and say that's the model? Or, or, uh, because that's interesting. And the, you know, when I relate this back to Active Shooter, we were talking earlier before we started that you guys can give us a week notice, seven, eight days notice that a hurricane may be coming our way. We just talked before we started that we may have severe storms in our area, Bedford, Virginia, Lynchburg, Virginia area. So we know it's coming. Tornadoes, you know, the National Weather Service, our local meteorologists they can say, you know, there's a good chance of severe weather tornadoes <clears throat> tomorrow or within an hour. But I always say, active shooter, you don't have that luxury. You have no, that's why you have to know the policy. We can always look, severe weather coming, let's go look at the policy, see what we have to do for the building. But active shooter, we don't have that. So hurricane predictions. They always come from Africa, and they, they it seemed like in Florida, it's going to go Cuba, and it's going to turn, go right up our coast. We had three in one uh, in about two weeks, um, just before we moved up here. People say, why did you move up to Virginia? Let's talk hurricanes. <laughs> yeah, that, I, my guess is that was probably the 2004-2005 season. It was, uh, yep, yeah, it yeah. was, yep. And there was, it seemed like one, two, three, right up the, and Daytona's right in the middle of the state on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they came right across, and I remember two of them, I believe, came, came right across. So hurricanes. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Mark. And that's a great analogy, by the way, comparing the active shooter situation to severe weather uh, planning. Um, so, you know, Virginia, our threats are a little bit different and they're a little more subtle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you live on the coast, you're, there's extensive media coverage. They're tracking the hurricanes. They have meteorologists uh, at, at the uh, scene uh, showing you minute by minute where right. the storm is moving. Whereas, it, to me, it seems like once they make um, landfall and they weaken, then the media coverage kind of uh, lessens and you don't hear much about it. You're right. But even during a weakened state, even if that tropical system loses its name, um, it can have devastating impacts in Virginia in terms of flash flooding. One of the worst natural disasters in the history of Virginia was Camille, which 50 years ago, mm -hmm. 1969, we're yeah. um, at the 50th anniversary of that event, over 150 people killed. Uh, that storm was no longer named. It was a decaying tropical system that interacted with the front with a lot of moisture, 20, 25, in some cases nearly 30 inches of rain. Wow. in less than 12 hours. And that will happen again somewhere in this area. So I, I think it's critical that we pay very close attention to the tropics. Um, and even if the storm has already come on shore and it's no longer named, we really need to, to pay close attention and, and heed those flash flood warnings and, yeah. and be ready for a significant flood event. I respect you know hurricanes, but you're right. I had never thought about once it hits the the Louisiana, Alabama, Florida coast, they kind of stop talking about it, but it's still coming up and it loses its name and we get all, whew, 
oh, thank goodness we're in Virginia, we're okay. Not necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. And just to go back to your spaghetti uh, comment, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> so, yeah, you'll see uh, on uh, national TV stations or even local stations, they'll show various models right. uh, showing how they are predicting the path of that storm. Generally speaking, where most of those models converge, that's where our confidence is highest that the um, storm, the track of the storm will take. But um, I was at the National Hurricane Center two years ago for some training, and they said, be careful because not every spaghetti noodle is um, is equal to another. Some noodles uh, have right. more skill than others. So yeah. not always will it follow where most of the um, spaghetti noodles come together. But that's a, a new way of, of weather forecasting. You know, A lot of people will say, hey, this particular model, the European model is always better, so let's go with that model. Uh, that's not the case. What we do is we run various perturbations of models, different ensembles, and where most of those ensembles converge, that's the most likely scenario, whether it's rain, track of storm systems, right. temperatures. Right. Um, that's that's how we are making weather forecasts now. Yeah, yeah. I used to get a kick out of the, the local media um, in in the Daytona Beach area would, at the beginning of the season, folks, we're going to have the worst hurricane season. This is going to be really, really bad. And then midway through, okay, we're not really predicting a bad hurricane season. And at the end of the hurricane season, you know, we don't see a bad hurricane season at all. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't change it. Right. Um, but they're after ratings. They, you know, they want people to pay attention and get ratings. <clears throat> so... One more one question I had is, again, back in Florida, it, it thunderstorms every day. It's easy to predict. Um, sea breeze pushes it, and they can predict if they say we're going to have a storm, we're going to have a storm. But now living up here for the past twelve years, it seems like they'll call for a storm. We don't have it. It they won't call for a storm. We have it. So it doesn't seem. I don't want to say not as accurate, but why is that? Why is Florida Florida's flat? You know, and surrounded by ocean. But why is it more reliable down there and not so much up here? Yeah, that's a great question, Marco. And, and for Florida, and especially in the summer, it's all tied to the sea breeze fronts, as yeah. you mentioned. You can track those on satellite and radar. So you know, hey, during the late morning, early afternoon, the sea breeze front pushes on land. That's going to be the focus for where thunderstorms are going to develop. So you can say with high confidence, because it occurs routinely in the same area and it can be tracked, you're going to get showers and thunderstorms from this time in this location. Yeah. Now, here in Virginia, we obviously don't have the sea breeze fronts this far inland. Um, and it's more air mass thunderstorms. And the comparison I like to share is, imagine you're getting ready to boil a pot of water and you put that pot on your oven and you turn your oven on, you're waiting for the water to boil. Tell me where in that pot the first bubble will appear. Yeah. That's exactly what we're trying to do. So we know there will be thunderstorms, there'll be heavy rain, but we can't tell you probably even six, eight hours in advance, it's gonna be over Forest, it's gonna be over Lynchburg, it's gonna be over Amherst. Yeah. We have to wait for them to form on radar, then we can give you hours yeah. notice to say, okay, we see the storms forming, so now we can uh, give more precise and detailed information. Yeah, interesting. And my wife and I always talk about when we have snowstorms or even severe storms coming from, it seems like they most of the time come from the west in our area. Do the mountains break it up? Because I'll watch the radar and it looks like they'll, and I'm in Bedford County, but it looks like they'll hit, um, and I'm using my hands. Sorry for people that are listening. <laughs> I'm sitting here talking to Phil using my hands. Um, but it seems like the, the bad storms are coming from like West Virginia. They hit the mountains and split and go right around Bedford. Is that accurate to say or am I just not just ignorant no no not at all I think that's a very accurate observation you know the terrain in this area makes it really challenging to forecast I've worked at five different weather service offices in my career and hands down this area is the most difficult to forecast because of those terrain uh, features so if you have a west or northwest flow more times
times than not, that line of storms will dissipate as it uh, hits the mountains, unless unless you have a um, extraordinarily unstable air mass where they can quickly regenerate, um, like we've seen sometimes with some of these lines of storms. So that's not always the case. But um, if the winds are coming from the southwest and it doesn't um, converge on those mountains, that's a, a better opportunity to get showers and thunderstorms in this area. And, and so we talk about that at the office all the time. We say, hey, in this type of flow, we're going to see thunderstorms dissipate over the west, regenerate over the east as they interact with the mountains. But a change of wind direction of even 30 degrees from like west to southwest can make all the difference in the world, whether areas along the foothills of the Blue Ridge will get rain or, or not. Yeah, yeah. And Tornado Alley, why do they call it that or what's the setup for that? Why is it? Why do tornadoes go down that area? I just came back from uh, St. Louis for the second time and both times I was out there, we teach an active shooter, both, time, both times I was out there I see a lot of sirens around um, and, uh, and they talk about we have a lot of severe weather tornadoes. Um, the last time I just went out Cincinnati and uh, I was out there a few months ago, four months ago and I was on the interstate and I see where a tornado had gone through and just leveled buildings. So it was very recent. So why is that area? Yeah, there's a lot of unique features that come together in Tornado Alley that makes it especially prone for tornadoes. You have the direct access to the Gulf of Mexico to get the moisture. Um, you have lift from dry lines that come in off the uh, desert southwest. Uh, you have really warm temperatures, much warmer than it is here in the east, and that helps fuel the, the updress. But the one key difference between Tornado Alley and the Mid-Atlantic region is the mid-level dry air. That dry air, as you go above the surface, winds are from the south at the surface, then they veer to the west and when they veer to the west at roughly 10 to 15,000 feet off the ground it brings in that drier air off the high plains and the desert southwest and that really fuels the buoyancy okay. of the storms and by the time the storms get to the east of the Mississippi generally speaking especially the mid-Atlantic region the yeah. southeast you've saturated that layer and the atmosphere is more moist so you don't get the intense updrafts uh, as you would out in the plains and, and to me that's the key features that lack of mid-level dry air yeah yeah wow interesting very interesting um, turbulence next time I fly can I call you and have you control the turbulence I was coming into Dallas <laughs> a few months ago and let me tell you it was like a roller coaster bouncing all over the place so they that's unsettled air right what is when a plane hits that what is that just unsettled air exactly and that's uh, and that's much like um, um, just um, the convection of air rising rapidly uh -huh. and you have the updrafts and the downdrafts and so if, if you're like me and you're not a big fan of turbulence uh, I'll never forget the first introduction to meteorology class I took uh, the professor said okay most meteorologists don't like to fly in turbulence right uh, so fly in the morning yeah if you fly really early in the morning before the atmosphere begins to mix and you get the updrafts and I've the downdrafts uh, yeah. the odds of hitting turbulence are, are much less and you know to, to help um, pilots navigate through that we have um, weather centers um, excuse me, air weather centers um, at 10 different locations that the Weather Service provides forecasts. We also provide aviation forecasts uh -huh. at our office for six airports, including Lynchburg. Yeah. So any pilot fly, fly, flying in and out of Lynchburg can use our information to yeah. gauge whether they need extra fuel for low ceilings or thunderstorms. Right. Yeah. A lot of times they'll say we're going to climb above it. You know, we're going to hit some turbulence. We'll climb climb above it. But it's been uh, it's amazing how turbulence can affect a huge I mean, immediate drops and bouncing around and, and you hear the plane cracking and <laughs> making noises and just, just get me down here. Um, one last question I have is Florida thunderstorms. Why is it moisture or why is it every single day in Florida 
you know, five o'clock, four, four or five o'clock. It's going to, here it comes. It's going to be a dark, dark clouds, wind, thunderstorm, and it's going to be beautiful right after that. Yeah, three things you need for thunderstorms, moisture, lift, and instability. And all instability is, is it means really warm temperatures at the ground mm -hmm. and slightly cooler temperatures aloft. We talked about the sea breeze fronts. That's such a catalyst for generating those thunderstorms in Florida. Uh, they have the uh, lift almost daily to lift that moisture up and the abundance of moisture so close, obviously, to the oceans. Yeah. So they, they have it almost yeah. year round. Whereas here, we don't have that lifting mechanism uh, as frequently as they do. We we don't have those sea breeze fronts and our moisture many times is, is limited especially when we get into a west or northwest flow and the dew points which is a measure of moisture begin to drop so those two things uh, are why we don't see as many thunderstorms or see them as frequently as they, they do in Florida yeah um, lightning mm -hmm. It, it, the storm can be way, way off, and you, you're out cutting the grass. I know Melissa Lefevre with 13 is always careful, you know, to, to say if there's lightning, go inside. You know, she's always giving warnings out. So how far, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a storm, and it's, it's miles and miles and miles away, and I see lightning. Oh, I got time to cut the grass. No, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, and that's a great, I'm glad you brought that up, Marco. So lightning can strike 10 to 15 miles away from where it's raining. Wow. So what we tell people is when thunder roars, move indoors. The yeah. second you hear thunder, you better get inside, get away from windows. When is it safe to resume mowing the lawn or your outdoor right. activities? Wait 30 minutes after the last rumble of thunder to make sure that you're not going to get one of those bolts out of the blues. Yeah. When a lightning strike comes 10, 15 miles away from where that thunderstorm is. And sadly, uh, in the United States, we've already lost a 11 people uh, from lightning strikes uh, this year. Wow. Um, so, yeah. again, when you hear that thunder, take action, get inside. 10 to 15 miles away from the storm, that's 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 pretty far. Right. That's a good distance. Usually I'll wait two or three miles. I'm going, <laughs> okay, I'm done cutting the grass now. I just had a bolt next to me. Um, yeah, and so I went over to your place in Blacksford about a year ago, and, and you gave me a tour. Very, very impressive. Do you do that for school groups or or groups if they want to come in and see that? No, thank you for mentioning it, Marco. Uh, we do offer school uh, office tours, especially yeah. for school um, kids, sixth grade and older. Okay. And if you go to our website, weather.gov slash Blacksburg, uh -huh. at the bottom of the page, you'll see a link for office tours, and you can fill out that form and schedule a tour if we have staffing available. Cool. Do, does tech, do you guys work a lot with Virginia Tech with interns and and, and stuff like I imagine you do. Oh, yeah. yeah you're it's you're a, right there. Yes, it's yeah. a great partnership. Uh, Virginia Tech just started a meteorology program. I think it's been about six years ago. Yeah. Uh, and since then, uh, we've brought in their students to help us with projects. Uh, and we've uh, shown them what we do on a daily basis to help them get into the weather service or pursue careers in meteorology. So it's a wonderful partnership. And we've worked on many projects together. Yeah. Best way to see it is right there in, in front of it. I was very impressed with all the different stations. You, know, you don't think of that. You take weather forecasting for granted and you don't I never thought about how technical just your different workstations and how big that that place was and then the weather balloon well blew my mind anything else you want to add I, this has been greatly interesting I, I think uh, I appreciate you coming out but it's been a lot of cool information that like I said in the beginning we all use you can't escape weather no matter where you go 
No, I appreciate the opportunity to be here today, Marco. Um, yeah, the uh, for the weather service, a lot of people are not aware uh, that when they hear weather warnings, whether it be from their favorite meteorologist or they get on their phone, we are the only agency that can issue official weather warnings. We have a great partnership with broadcast meteorologists and the TV stations to relay those warnings yeah. for us. But if you ever want to see a really detailed forecast for your street level, every day when you talk about those uh, computer systems we use to create forecasts and warnings, we are creating forecasts that have a resolution of one hour and a spatial resolution of a mile and a half. So you literally could click on our website, a forecast for Forest, a forecast for Lynchburg, and see two different forecasts. Excellent. And all that is available at weather.gov. So if it's weather you love, go to weather.gov. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good catch line there. Is that available on an app? Unfortunately, uh, we are okay. prohibited from creating an app, but oh. if you go to mobile.weather.gov, yeah. you can bookmark that and save it as an icon and okay. it serves the same okay. purpose. It's just easy. It's just as easy getting on the on the uh, on your cell phone and going to the to the uh, website. Yeah. That this has been really interesting. It's it's really cool and I'm glad we we got together to do this. Uh, you've been listening to Active Listening with T4 Tactics, uh, Phil Heisel with uh, National Weather Service, Warning Coordination Meteorologist. Hopefully you will never see him in your neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be a bad thing uh, afterwards. But uh, listen listen uh, to what he said and heed the warnings. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a great day. Be safe.